Good morning. My name is Daniel. If we haven't met, um, my name, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my privilege to take us into God's Word this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and uh, we are jumping back into Acts today. And so um, there's a lot that's happened in Acts. Uh, Jesus has ascended back to heaven. That's kind of the, the first thing. Um, the, the disciples are hanging out. They're waiting. They're praying. The Holy Spirit comes, and then the church just starts exploding, and then they start experiencing some conflict, as we do, right? And, um, and they're seeing Gentiles now included in the family of God, and so that there's all this stuff. And then <clears throat> where we're jumping in this morning in Acts 15, they've just had this big kind of church family meeting to talk about do Gentiles essentially need to become Jewish before they can become Christian. And so they've kind of talked through all of these big issues that are, that the emerging church is having. And so that's kind of where we're jumping in this morning. But before we do, I just would like to pray once more um, <clears throat> and, uh, and just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word. So let's pray again. Um, Father, as we come into your, your word this morning, um, I just know for myself and maybe others in the room would agree with me this morning that I'm, I'm, I don't want to uh, take your word for granted. And I also, um, I'm, I'm tired of, you know, just doing things rote. Um, we don't want some dead religious activity this morning, uh, but we want to experience your word in a way that is um, alive. We want your Holy Spirit to have access to our hearts. And so we just invite you um, and surrender to you. We want to give you a predetermined yes to your word and what you would how you would have us respond and that you would help us this morning um, because, again, just for myself and I, probably others in the room would agree with this prayer, Lord, that I can tend to have such a hard heart and I can have such a strong agenda. And my priorities are placed on me that I don't always give you reign and lordship over my life. And so we want to just do that now in this moment, just admit that you are Lord, you're our master, we are your kids and your servants, and we invite you to have your way in our hearts through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as we jump in, I'll just kind of admit on the front end, this, you know, the, this passage kind of addresses some, some really specific things. And so it may not be the kind of thing that's applicable to everybody in the room. So just, I just want you to know that. So really, this is only applicable to you if you've ever had a disagreement with somebody. Okay, so if you've never had a disagreement, then you can tune out. Okay, this is not for you this morning. But uh, if you've ever had any relationships with anybody, you probably can say, amen, I've had a disagreement. Uh, if you're married, you can say amen twice. Um, and if, you're, if you have kids... Uh, then you can just kind of raise your hand and shake your head and say, help me, Lord. Um, because somehow our kids tend to be able to disagree about absolutely everything. Um, even uh, my kids this morning trying to get them to church. So, whew, so we're here. 
we're going to dive into this. We're going to learn what God's word has to say. And it's a really interesting story as we jump in here. Let's read it and we'll kind of start to try to figure out what's going on here. But Acts 15, starting in verse 36, it says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, so again, these are two characters we've seen a lot. Paul and Barnabas have, have been doing a pretty extensive kind of missionary journey, church planting, um, huge, huge things that they've been, that God's been using them for to plant churches all over the place. And, um, and so we've seen some amazing things happening with Paul and Barnabas in their ministry. So uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So go back and visit these churches they've planted. To encourage them. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose, chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So it's kind of an interesting passage. And certainly it's not the first time we've seen disagreement <laughs> in Acts or in the Bible for that matter. I mean, having arguments and disagreements uh, is just part of having relationships. But it's kind of an uncomfortable one. Because it seems a lot more uh, like these are two people that you, they've kind of been trustworthy characters up to this whole point. And now these two people who have sort of been, you know, on the right side as far as like, these are guys that were like, no, we shouldn't be making Gentiles get circumcised and become Jewish before they can become Christians. You know, just different things like that. It seems like these guys have been the, sort of the heroes or the people. It's like we've, they've, they've been on the right side of things and had held the right beliefs the whole time. And they've kind of been doing the right stuff. And now these guys are disagreeing and it feels like uncomfortable. It feels like mom and dad are having an argument a little bit. And so it's kind of an interesting passage. And to be honest, if you, if you read a lot of different commentaries, people talk about this in all sorts of different ways and kind of land different places. But I want us to be careful this morning because I think what, what we tend to want to do is we tend to want to immediately jump in and know when we see a disagreement like this, like, well, okay, who's right? Is Paul right or is Barnabas right? Is Paul right they shouldn't take John Mark? Is Barnabas right that they should take John Mark? And we want to kind of form this opinion that Paul is being too harsh or Barnabas is being foolish or whatever. But I want to be careful because Scripture doesn't really give us indication that either Paul or Barnabas were sinning in any way or necessarily that either one of them were wrong. Just that it's, Luke is just kind of writing to us that this disagreement happened and it caused them to part ways and take separate journey, journeys. Um, and so I want us to kind of walk through this because it's a, it's a unique type of disagreement, but I think it opens the door for us to talk about what does it look like um, when in the church when we disagree with one another. So that's kind of what I want to do this morning. But as we first look at this, um, so the first kind of question I want to ask about this specific thing is what is the source of this disagreement that Barnabas and Paul are having. And I think in the book of James, we see where most disagreements come from. Okay. So where most, dis and 
where most disagreements come from in James chapter 4, he's, James writes this. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you don't ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And so I would say this description that James gives is the thing that fuels almost all of the relational tension and disagreements and things like that that we experience. And we all tend to be these kind of unstable people that James is talking about. And we have this, and, and we all experience it. Like he's describing something with these kind of metaphorical, with, with sort of metaphorical language of talking about wars and fights internally and this passion that wages war inside of us. And we're kind of like, what? I don't know. But if you just, just think about your mind day to day. Think about your thoughts and just the stuff that just flares up inside of your head. Like it doesn't, I mean, just think about the last time you were driving by an idiot, <laughs> right? You have a passion <laughs> to get where you're going and that person doesn't know how to use a roundabout. <laughs> and so something flares up and it, and you know, that's a silly example. It's a very real one. But there's more, there's, there's deeper passions that we have that come out in deeper kinds of relationships, come out in greater kinds of tension. And ultimately, we tend to be these unstable people that are trying to fill these, fulfill these longings and these passions, and we're unsatisfied with our life. And so we're trying to fill this void with anything that we can grab at. And inevitably, somebody else trying to get theirs is in the way of us getting ours. And boom, there's tension. Okay, again, in any kind of relationship that you can think of, this, this happens. So in the midst of, you know, I'm trying to find happiness. They're trying to find happiness. Their happiness is in my way, et cetera, et cetera. We lash out at one another. We have disagreements. And this can take many, many forms, okay? Because, you know, it's not just, um, it's not just like uh, being angry at other drivers, right? This, this, can, this can actually come out in seemingly, uh, like, in like theological discussions, right? Because sometimes people are talking about the Bible and making this point like, this is what the Bible says. And everybody else who says something different is blah, blah, blah. But they're going about it in a, in a way that shows they're not driven by a desire for truth and a desire for Jesus to be glorified and a desire to like love and know Jesus. They just want to be right. And they have this passion to hold on to their rightness and their power, and it drives their actions. And so sometimes the most smart theological people look the least Christ-like because theology and understanding of God has become a way for them to have power and control in their life and over other people. That's, what Je that's why Jesus came down so hard on the Pharisees, because that's exactly what they were all about. And so this, this comes out in lots of different ways. It comes out, you know, I, I remember as a kid, and I'm, I'm experiencing this now as a parent, and I'm like, okay. Um, but I was, uh, I was homeschooled. My mom homeschooled all six of her kids. And uh, so my mom is kind of insane. But um, and she is now, <laughs> uh, but 
I would argue about literally everything. It's like, okay, here's your like 15 math problems to do. Can I just do half of them? It's like, no. It's like, this is just, just do your thing. Like, don't, why do we have to argue just everything? Or even like from, from like kindergarten. It's like, okay, color in the letter A. I know what it looks like. I don't want to color it in. Like, I'm, I see it. I know what A looks like. Let's move on. I don't want to spend the time coloring. Like, just arguing about everything. It's dumb. But we do that in more adult ways as well. Um, so whatever it is, I think there's, like, whenever we're having a disagreement with somebody, and, our, and maybe it's opinions, maybe it's about making a decision, um, you know, whatever it is, you can fill in the blanks. There's so many different things we can disagree about. And we all know that. But as we're having these disagreements, we need to be very careful and examine ourselves and say, where am I coming from? Why am I reacting this way? Especially if we're starting to get kind of heated, get kind of angry, it's a good time to hit the pause button, even if I'm right. Because like, again, I'm, I'm arguing with my kids daily about like, can you just like eat that piece of broccoli? It's like just one piece of broccoli. And so we're having these arguments. If I find myself starting to get angry, I need to push the pause button. Because even if I'm right, there's something going on inside of me that isn't right. So that's where most of our disagreements come from. And that's why many of our disagreements come out sideways. So that's, I, I would say that is, um, that is where most of our disagreements come from. And I think when those you know, these passions that we're trying to kind of soothe, um, when, we, when those start to be replaced by this, by this thing of like, I know that I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. And we have this relationship that is more solid and more foundational than all of these other things. It begins to change the way that we interact with people because we're not looking for other people to help us find what we've, we've already found in Jesus. And so that, again, that's where I would say most of our disagreements come from. And, uh, but I don't think in this passage, I don't think that scripture is necessarily giving us any sense that this was like that kind of a disagreement. The reason I bring it up though, is because that is what most disagreements are. But I don't get the sense from this passage that that was the kind of disagreement that's going on here. That's not this like internal, personal, passion kind of disagreement. As best as I can tell, this disagreement was primarily centered around ministry priorities and strategy. And really like what it comes down to is Paul and Barnabas have very different giftings and kind of callings and goals that are God-given. And they express those things differently. Part of the reason why they've been so connected up to this point is because Barnabas has this heart for kind of marginalized people who are like, or like new up-and-coming ministers. And Paul was somebody that none of the other apostles wanted to like, they didn't want to interact with him because he just previously was a major persecutor of the church. And Barnabas was like the only one that's like, no, I'll take him under my wing. I'll, I'll come alongside and I'll encourage him and I'll help to kind of like nurture what God is doing here. And so they've been connected like this. And <clears throat> so Barnabas has this 
just, I mean, his name means son of encouragement. So like he's got this encouragement, discipleship, restoration, care for the individual kind of gifting. And so that's sort of what he's operating under. And you see that coming out as he's talking about what they should do with John Mark. Where on the other side, and we see this in Acts and even in a lot of the letters of Paul, that he's this guy, he's, he, is a, he is an apostle. He has that gift, which is like a sent one who goes and builds God's kingdom in places that are unreached and haven't been met and stirs up these new things. And so he's, he's got this, this edge of kind of wanting effectiveness and in a certain sense like efficiency and wanting to see a lot of church planting and growth and big picture stuff. And so you kind of see this clash of gifting that Barnabas is like, I want to care for this individual and out of that go and care for churches and kind of take him along and that's kind of his priority. And Paul's like, I don't want to take along somebody who might hinder the big picture of this um, of this mission of going and ministering to these churches and going around encouraging these churches. And so neither is either one of them wrong, not necessarily. They're both emphasizing different, very important things. And the body of Christ, and this is kind of a huge um, uh, uh, theme in Acts, is that there's this diversity in the body of Christ. And in the midst of that diversity, in the spirit, we have unity. And Particularly, I think in this, in this instance, not only is Luke just saying like, hey, this happened, they, they disagreed about this particular thing, and so they did their own separate missionary journeys. He's just telling us what happened, but also we're getting a picture of sometimes this is just the, this is, and, and actually probably more than sometimes, a lot of times, this is just the reality in the body of Christ, that we all come together and we all have different callings, different kind of God-given, God-given passions, not the kind of disagreement passions I was talking about before. God-given passions to follow what he's doing and to build his kingdom in unique ways. And that sometimes comes out in different styles of ministry, different ways of doing things. Certainly, like, if you just think about it, even on a, maybe a more of a big scale thing for this church, Right. Just, just for our church, we have a certain way that we do things here. We have a certain culture that we have at our church here. Is it the best? Not necessarily. There's plenty of other great, amazing, gospel-like, sweet family churches all over the place that look totally, completely different from ours. Their music is different. Their preaching style is different. The way that they, you know, their, their liturgy and the things that they, the way they, like all this stuff could be completely different and still very beautiful, very uh, like um, effective in the kingdom. And so all these things, like we don't, um, we tend to squabble and divide in a negative way and look down, but it, I don't get that sense again with Paul and Barnabas. Like Paul's like, all right, Barnabas, you go have the, the, the lame mission and I'm going to do the good mission. And you're going to be over there with that lame dude. And I'm going to be over here with this good guy. And you know, so it, it was, it, you don't get a hint of, at least I don't when I read this, of this like competitiveness that we generally see. And we see it in churches all the time. Stuff like this would cause a church split sometimes. And that's absolutely not the heart of God. But it, but, but it happens regularly where maybe there's like the, the 
associate pastor disagrees with the senior pastor about something or the elder disagrees with the senior pastor. And, 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 it's, and it's really about ministry priorities. Sometimes it can be. And then fueled by these passions, it leads them to be like, well, I think we should do it this way. So I'm going to get as many people on my side and wage war against your side. And we'll go our own separate ways once the dust settles. And again, I don't see that in this passage. I see Paul and Barnabas being like, well, I don't think we can agree on this. So we're just going to have to kind of divide up this trip and you do half the trip and I'll do the other half the trip. So it's a very different way. And so again, I think it's a godly example of how to disagree. And, um, and so I want to I look at that though, because ultimately whatever is happening in this passage, we can only kind of conjecture and try to fill in some of the blanks. And so without doing that too much, I think that's sort of what the passage is giving us a feel for. But ultimately that's what's happening or that's what happened then. But what happens now is that we have lots of disagreements. <laughs> so what happens when we butt heads with one another? What are siblings supposed to do when we disagree? Because again, in the body of Christ, that's what we are. We're siblings. And so in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives very clear, you've probably heard it before, very clear instructions for how do I deal with a conflict or a disagreement or when somebody has done something uh, that has wronged me. Again, this is a little bit outside of the scope of this passage in Acts because there's not necessarily like any sin against one another. But often this is what happens when there's disagreement. So, uh, Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 15, says, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that the, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven again. Truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. So Jesus cares very much about our relational harmony. When we see his prayer for us in John chapter, uh, John chapter 17, that he's praying that we would be one just as he and the father are one. So he cares very much about our relational harmony. And this Matthew writes about this particular teaching of Jesus on conflict. He writes about that right on the heels of writing about the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves 99, goes and finds the one. So he's connecting it to this idea of restoration, and that's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 18, that the, the goal when there's conflict or disagreement is not to win. The goal is to achieve unity and restoration of relationship. That's the ultimate goal. Now, the reality is, and this is what Jesus is playing out here, is that it takes two to have unity. You can't have unity with somebody else who doesn't want to with you. So Jesus is taking that into account. He's like, if you have a conflict, go and talk to this one person. And here, that, that's a big thing for us because that tends to not be the way that we handle conflict, is it? Because again, conflict happens, war, blah, what do I need to do? I need to get some people on my side. I'm going to go talk to a bunch of other people 
about why this person, I'm, I'm not gossiping, I'm venting. So I'm going to talk to all these other people and I'm going to get a posse. And then what we're going to do is not talk to that person. <laughs> and we're just going to give them nasty looks every time we see them. So then every, they know that everybody else knows what they did. <laughs> Boom. Or you just post about it. Boom. Roasted. And that tends to be how we handle conflict. It's not about restoration. It's not about unity. It's about my passions that are at war within me. And I need to feel better about myself. So I am willing to tear anybody down who gets in my way. That's just what happens. We do that with our spouses. We do that with our friends. We'll do it with anybody. <laughs> we will tear anybody down who gets in our way. And this is why Jesus is like, you don't do it this way. This is not how we do it in my family. You go to the person. If there's an issue, you go to the person. Yeah, it might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. Jesus doesn't say, and this is going to be super easy. No, he is our master and he commands us to handle conflict in this way. And so this is what we do as children of God. And if we decide that we will not do this, this passage says we are to be like a Gentile or a tax collector. If we refuse to be restored into relationship and we refuse to either admit when we're wrong or whatever, that then we're supposed to be considered as if we don't even know Jesus. Because on the heel, and like, so Jesus makes that point. And then right on the heels of this, Matt, uh, Matthew then writes about the parable of the, um, of the, what was it, what does he call it? The unforgiving servant. Where it's like this guy owes this king a huge debt that he could never, ever repay. And the king forgives it. And then on his way home, he sees this guy who owes him like $20. And he has that dude thrown in prison to, because of his debt, his outstanding debt. And then the king hears about it. He's like, dude, I just forgave you like a billion dollars. And you can't even forgive this other person who owes you 20. And so he gets, he, it, it's a huge reversal. The guy who is unforgiving gets thrown in jail. And Jesus ultimately says this at the end of that passage, he says, so also my heavenly father will do to you. You will get the same treatment as the unforgiving servant unless you, uh, uh, unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. We can't always, we can't always reach uh, agreement. We can't always reach even restoration um, with people who have wronged us, but we are commanded by Jesus to forgive commanded. And, and so as we, um, as, as we are attempting to follow Jesus in our relationships with one another, we follow, we, we do our best to, to pursue unity. Because again, in this passage in Matthew 18, Jesus is connecting our unity of relationship. He's connecting it to the effectiveness of our prayers together and our experience of the presence of God together. Because I don't know about you, but if our church starts to become about fighting, 
I, I can guarantee you we're probably not going to be praying very much. We're probably not going to be experiencing very much of God's presence because we're not pursuing those things. We're pursuing our own personal passions. Now, here's the bottom line as it relates to us and Paul and Barnabas. Certainly in a church like this, man, are there lots of opinions in this room? Absolutely. There are lots of different giftings and callings and, and you know, even God-given passions and priorities for ministry in life. And here's the, here's the bottom line is that for, for some of us in the room, you, you likely, probably many of us in the room maybe, you, you likely disagree with certain things that happen in this church that might not be like a biblical issue. It might just be like a preference. Like you might not really like the style of music that we do on a Sunday morning. That's okay. That's okay. We don't claim that this is the best style of music or whatever. We just, as the, you know, the ones who are leading, feel like this is the style of music that God's asked us to do. So that's what we're going to do. But if you don't like it, that's okay. We don't have to agree on that. It's not a salvation issue. And quite frankly, sometimes there's a big enough ministry, like kind of identity kind of thing, or even just like a, just like a priority thing that sometimes are like cause people to be like, you know what? I think I need to go to a different church and that's okay. That's okay. Just like for Paul and Barnabas, they've been connected for years and years, best friends, best buzz, doing ministry together. And now they've reached a season in their life where they're like, I think we need to go somewhere else. We need to do something else. It's a new season and that's fine. Some of us, you know, some of us will be a part of this church for decades and we'll do your funeral here. And that, like, that'll be some of us. Others, others of us, God will take us other places through moves or even just whatever. That's okay. We can bless one another. We don't have to walk away with our fists up in the air like, you guys don't do this right. Or you're an idiot because of this. We don't have to do that. We can just thank God for the fruitful things that have happened and trust him moving forward. So what we see with Paul and Barnabas is that they had this disagreement and ultimately they did see it through to a resolution. It wasn't a resolution of, okay, so we're going to stay together and do this. But it was a resolution of like, I guess we're just going to, let's just split up the trip. You take John Mark and do these places. I'll take Silas and do these places. And what we actually see is a creative solution that kind of like doubles the effort and comes up with a new different way of doing ministry that actually like reaches more people and it opens the door. Like we're not going to get into this quite as much today. It'll kind of come in the next few passages, but you know, Paul begins to plant more churches and stuff that, that wasn't necessarily his plan when, when they were first talking about this trip. So God uses this, um, this disagreement and in his sovereignty actually uses it for the good of both growing the church. And that statement happens at the end of, um, at the end of our verses. It says he, uh, that Paul traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So that happened. And then what we'll see in this next passage we're about to get into is that the church continues to grow and, and, and things like that. So God uses even this disagreement in his sovereignty. And so I really think God probably in, in both of these guys that 
it seems like, again, this is just my reading of the passage. Other people who are probably smarter than me might disagree with me on this. But my reading is that both of these guys just genuinely want to please Jesus. That he's placed a, a, a passion in their heart, Barnabas, to, to, to pour into John Mark and for Paul to do kind of like continue his kind of intensity of his missionary schedule and stuff like that. And, and so in both of these guys, God is kind of sovereignly leading them to part ways. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that either one of them was wrong. Could they, could that have been the case? Absolutely could have. I just don't get that from the passage. Um, so ultimately at the end of all this, the church grows and there was relational restoration. And, and what we see in second Timothy, which was the last letter that, um, that Paul wrote while he was uh, in prison he said in, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, only Luke is with me, as he's writing to Timothy, only Luke is with me, bring Mark with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. So even the relationship between Paul and Mark, something is restored there. He sees maybe after Mark's you know, process with Barnabas and some maturing that happens there, there's maybe some things. And ultimately, I mean, Mark, John Mark is the one that writes the gospel of Mark. The first written gospel the earliest written gospel was written by this guy who was at one point a deserter. So we see this kind of restoration happen <clears throat> and, and God uses even this disagreement. And so sometimes the reason why we get so bent out of shape about stuff is just because we just don't trust God enough. We think that it's up to me to like make this happen and make people fall in line and make, it's like we don't have to get so messed up about that stuff. We could trust the Lord. If we don't agree, we could trust the Lord with that. So let's, let's continue. I just want to read these next five verses and just kind of wrap up what happens here in this story. <clears throat> so Paul goes on to Derby and Lystra where there was a disciple named Timothy, uh, uh, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So the reason I wanted to jump into this next passage is we sort of see some of the fruit that starts to happen, like because, and again, I don't know that this wouldn't have happened if Paul and Barnabas were together, but certainly maybe Paul's um, looking for more partners now. He's like, all right, Barnabas was kind of, taking me under his wing. Maybe I should start finding other people to take under my wing. So he finds this guy, Timothy. And it's interesting because we literally just, just verses before the church had declared like, hey, circumcision is not a gospel issue. Like you do not have to be circumcised. You don't have to become Jewish to, to receive the free gift of Jesus. But then in this passage, he has Timothy be circumcised. So just basically what's happening here is that in Jewish culture, somebody would be considered Jewish if your mother was Jewish. That's how like Jewish lineage is passed on was from your mom. So when they go to places with Jews, they would consider 
Timothy, also a Jew, but because his dad was a Greek, he was not circumcised. So he wouldn't be able to speak in a synagogue. And you kind of see that throughout Acts. That was like one of Paul's main strategies was they would, he would go into a synagogue and start talking about Jesus to these Jewish people who were there and be like, hey, the Messiah has come. And so basically he's giving Timothy the opportunity to, in an unencumbered way, be able to go into these unbelieving Jewish communities and be able to speak to them freely as of what they would consider kind of now a full-blown Jew um, to be able to speak in the synagogue about, about Jesus. So it's really, it's, it's not a salvation kind of thing. It's more of a gospel ministry effectiveness decision, which is really interesting. I want to take us into 1 Corinthians because it kind of describes Paul's thoughts in why he does this. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those, <clears throat> to win those under the law. To those who were without the law, like one without the law. Though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that I may be, by every, every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. So I think we tend to have a hard time with this because just like when we talk about how we interact in disagreements, I think even just in, in relating with other people who are different from us, who don't see the things that way that we do to, um, to try to relate with people, we tend to want to hold on to our rights and our opinions before we're willing to lay any of that down to actually interact with somebody and relate to somebody. That we kind of have this knee-jerk reaction to somebody's, you know, politics or their views on God or, you know, whatever. That we have these knee-jerk reactions that are like, oh, no, and we pick up this thing really quick. It's like, mm. and it just, sometimes it just feels like that. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody where it's like, almost like you're kind of scared to say anything because you know they've just got this, like, they're kind of just holding this stick, this proverbial stick behind their back. That as soon as you say something, they're just ready with like their pad answer, like, you know, and they're just like, they'll just lay into you about whatever. And we can all be like that. We all have this tendency and these kind of specific things that we tend to hold on to. And again, sometimes as red-blooded Americans, it's like, it's my, our rights. I'm holding on to my rights. It's my right to blah, blah, whatever, you know, like freedom of speech. I think as a Christian, I don't have freedom of speech. My speech should be controlled by the Holy Spirit, right? And I mean, you could take whatever, but all of these things, it's like everything I might have, you know, legally as an American, I may have a, a specific right, but over all of that is the Lordship of Jesus in my life. So for Timothy, that meant as a grown man getting circumcised. That's not comfortable. I don't, I won't describe it to you if you don't know what I'm talking about, but don't Google it. <laughs> but we're not, we don't tend to be willing to get uncomfortable or go outside of our normal group to reach people with the gospel. We don't tend to be willing to do that. 
Because our, and I'm saying our, because I am 100% culpable in this. My comfort tends to be my highest priority in my life. I tend to make decisions on, is this the most comfortable thing I could be doing right now? That tends to be how I like to make decisions. It just in my, in my flesh. And I think often our comforts, our rights, our opinions tend to take a higher priority over, you know, just loving Jesus with our lives. And so as we, as we wrap up today, I just want us to, um, and I'll, I'll invite the band to come up, but as we move into a little bit of time to respond, I want us just to think about um, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to just bring up some, and he probably already has as we've, as we've been going through this passage. I know he, he was for me this week as I was um, just preparing and, and whatnot, but there's probably some stuff in your life that you see is not matching up with what Jesus has for us and what he calls his, his children to be and how he calls us to live. Um, and so <clears throat> um, as we move into this, this moment of response, I really do encourage you, like, just, just allow the Holy Spirit to bring things to mind um, that, that may just not be matching up with his word. So one of those things might be, maybe you know that you have been one of those, or you have experienced those moments where those destructive passions in your life have come out and just, it's just causing all this relational strife. And it seems like everybody around you seems to have a problem, but maybe God is showing you like, maybe you're the problem. And here's the beautiful thing is that when it's Jesus showing you, you know that that's already somebody who just so deeply loves you. He doesn't hold it over our heads or shame us or guilt us. He's like, hey, I just want you to know, you know why you have so much conflict with people? It's because you've got these passions inside you that I want to replace with more of me. I want you to dive deeper into the reality of you belong to me. And I belong to you. And he wants to show you what life looks like. A different kind of way of living and a, di- a new kind of joy, a new kind of peace, a new kind of healthiness in relationships with other people. Maybe you've been holding on to unforgiveness. Maybe people have done horrible, terrible things to you, sinned against you in terrible ways. And it feels like it's your right to hang on to that. Let me just tell you, by holding on to that, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. And not only that, if you want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus, if you've truly received the forgiveness of Jesus, he's given you what you need to forgive even that. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy or it's just like a, it's not like flipping a switch. But slowly, some seeds of forgiveness can start to take root, start to grow up in your life. You'll begin to experience freedom like you've never experienced before. A lot of that bitterness will just start to melt away. You'll begin to have joy and freedom in Jesus. Maybe you're realizing that you've just been putting your needs and your wants and your rights and your opinions and your comfort above other people, especially people who are not like you or disagree with you on things. And maybe it's time to say, all right, Lord, what is, what is my Timothy thing? 
What needs to happen in my life so I can have an effective witness with the people around me? Is there something, not, not to be crass, but is there something, God, that you need to cut off, cut out of my life? Is there an allegiance that I've built with something else? And I've said, this is more important than my ability to be able to speak to Jesus, speak Jesus to this person. And God, do you need to cut that out of my life? Or maybe like all of us do, maybe you're realizing you just have this place, you just been holding so tightly to control of your life. You don't want God to control your life. You want to be in charge. So maybe you're recognizing some of these things and as we move into a time of worship, I just encourage you to continue to, just to talk to God about it. Maybe, maybe you wanna do that in response with singing. Maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer. You're welcome to stand or sit um, as, we, as we have this time of response. But whatever you do, please, please just spend some time interacting with the Lord. And, um, and maybe it's just the simple prayer of like, Jesus, I don't know. Help me. That's perfect. So let's respond together. So again, if if you want to stand and sing, please do. If you want to continue to sit and just process and reflect, please do that. Let's worship together.